Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District podcast. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Norwegian football journalist Jonas Yeva. Jonas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you on and I'm sure we're going to talk about some very interesting topics. Obviously a very interesting time for football and for life in general. Uh, how have you personally been coping with the lockdown? Uh, a little bit of uh, up and down. Uh, mm. I've been I've been in isolation uh, and also in self-imposed quarantine considering that i had uh, certain symptoms of the virus i've also checked myself for the virus and i've been negative so i'm trying to take all sort of precautions possible in order to make sure that i don't have it and that i can't you know uh give it to anyone else but uh i've been very fortunate in that i haven't been in contact with anyone that has it and and um and yeah just trying to cope with a state of no football and no sort of uh, social life, which is um, challenging, to be quite honest with you. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And how has it affected your work? Has it affected that in, in quite a heavy fashion, or are you continuing as normal? Uh, I'm continuing as normal, but I mean, there's nothing to write about. Um, <laughs> there's nothing really to, to, to write or to report about other than, you know, um, competitions being stopped and, and certain certain ones reopening again and also the sort of negative outcome that that's uh, been caused by the uh, by the pandemic so uh, it's been very slow uh, and then again it's also been quite challenging for i believe any sort of news reporter uh, especially in, in in sports so i have a lot of sympathy for all my colleagues across the world yeah well, we're recording this two days after the announcement that the Premier League will return, so I'm sure things will be available to write about there. Uh, well, they, well, they will mm-hmm. be a yeah, lot, lot more to write about in a few weeks' time. 17th of June, the date for that. Uh, what are your thoughts in general at the way that's been handled by the Premier League specifically? And on a personal level, what do you think about the game being played you know, without fans in the stadiums? Well, I think, first and foremost, that games being played without, without fans is... Um... I think it's a shame to be quite honest because I, I I think football without fans is you know I think it was I think it was Luis Enrique the, the, the Spain manager said it's sort of like dancing with your sister at, at your wedding yeah yeah um, which is which is a weird analogy but then again it kind of makes sense in that it's kind of depressing mm. uh, we've been watching it in, in Germany now uh, for a couple of rounds and I think it's just hollow I think football just seems so lifeless to be quite honest with you so unimportant. Which again um, leads me to, to, to question why uh, the leagues are doing it. I understand that they would like to conclude the seasons, but then again, uh, considering the pandemic is going on and whether or not they actually do have full control over the spread of the virus, uh, I'm I'm uncertain of, um, and I think everyone is kind of uncertain of it because it's a virus and a pandemic that we really haven't seen before. So. On a personal note, I'm a little bit skeptic as to why they're doing it. But then again, I understand the reasoning for it. I understand that it also helps people with sort of reaching a sense of uh, normal life again uh, and seeing football on a weekly basis, uh, whether it being during the weekends or during the actual week. Mm. So I'm very torn. Uh, I'm very torn on it. Personally, I would have liked to have just sort of seen UEFA and FIFA sort of scrap the whole thing and said that, all right, we're going to name the league leaders as the winners perhaps and then figuring out what to do with relegation in the European um, European spots I suppose considering in, in, in the Premier League I mean Liverpool are 25 points ahead of everyone I mean they, they should be named champions I know that I, I'm at a Man United podcast and I shouldn't be saying that out loud <laughs> but I mean they're 25 points ahead they're mm-hmm. going to win the league regardless so um, 
it just feels, and I think also if you ask Liverpool fans, of course, they'll think that winning the league is perfect. But I mean, it, it'll be hollow to win the league in a stadium with no fans. So it's always going to be for every team that wins the league now, whether it's in Spain, in, in Germany, in England, it's going to be, you know, sort of a, uh, an asterisk next to the, the, the league winner because it was the Corona season. Mm. Um, but then again, I think, um, I think it all depends. It all depends on how, how much of a necessity you see football as. And I think for the industry itself, it's um, sort of the difference between life and death, I suppose, for some clubs and some finances. Mm. And what do you think is going to happen with competitions like the Champions League and the Europa League? With obviously, you know, French, the French Football League has come to complete stop. Meanwhile, the mm -hmm. Bundesliga and, and the Premier League are continuing as normal. Um, what, how do you think that's going to sort of all come together with clubs from different leagues having to obviously face each other competitively? Well, it's only, it's only France that sort of stopped their competition. I saw that the L'Equipe, the, the French uh, football magazine, mm. um, or sports magazine, as you say, uh, sort of had a, a, a headline that's that sort of blanked off France as being the only one that's stopped their league and then asking the question whether or not they've been made to look like fools now, considering that uh, Spain, Italy, England and Germany all are continuing on their leagues. Um, the Champions League and Europa League are going to be concluded in, in some fashion. Uh, I think the UEFA have, UEFA have decided that they would like to do it. They're going to do it in a way that they see fit and... I'm, I'm imagining they will do it in a sort of a Final Four uh, kind of way where they kind of place everyone in the same arena or the same sort of area and try to, to play all the games in a week or two weeks or so. Um, mm. I, I have no idea how they're going to do it and how they're going to sort of... Because they're... I mean, f for example, for the Europa League, I believe they're in the round of 16. For the Champions League as well, they're in the round of 16. So there are a considerable amount of teams still in the competition. So I wonder how they, how they would like to do it. Um, the interesting part is also for the French teams uh, that are not going to be able to play actual mm. uh, domestic competitions. How are they going to be able to cope with, with having to play European competitions? I mean, PSG are through to the quarterfinals after eliminating Borussia Dortmund. Um, so I, it's a lot of, it's a lot of weird decisions that are being made. Mm. I think, um, I understand it, but at the same time, I question it a little bit because I really don't see the necessity for those leagues to be concluded or for the European competitions to be concluded in a, in a playing fashion, more so than they actually should just name winners or scrap the whole thing altogether. Yeah. With regards to United, the lockdown came at a, a decent time for us. We were on good form, obviously, when football came to a stop. What, uh, what mm -hmm. do you think of you know this this first proper season for Solskjaer, his first sort of full season? Obviously, it isn't completed yet. How do you think he's sort of fared uh, in that first full season as, as permanent coach? A little bit of ups and downs, and I think that was to be expected. Uh, then again... He is a manager that I've, whenever I've spoken to him, whenever I've seen him in Norway, I know that he's extremely determined and he'd like for everything to work out, you know, in, in his manner. He likes things to be done in his manner. And I think that at times that hasn't been able to, to suffice in Manchester United. I don't think he's been able to do exactly the things that he'd like to have done, mm. uh, considering the, the, the magnitude of the job and the magnitude of the club that he's managing. Obviously, he knows that because he's played there, but at the same time, to be number one, the alpha dog in, in that locker room is difficult, even though you're the manager. Look at, the, look at people like David Moyes, for example, who never ever managed to win over the locker room. Mm. Uh, Louis van Gaal seemingly became a laughingstock, and Jose Mourinho kind of alienated himself. So um, 
I, th- I think that he's he's had a difficult time to cope with that. I'm I'm, I'm imagining. I have no idea if that's true. Um, but at the same time, I think he's also uh, the only one of those managers who has been able to sort of put himself in the role of one of the players. And I think that's sort of helped him kind of get over that slump that he's had. Um, and also, of course, he's had Bruno Fernandes, who's been absolutely fantastic, who's kind of in, in some ways b- become a saving grace for him. Because I think if he hadn't come in and sort of changed the attitude of that team and they'd continue to lose and Mauricio Pochettino still being without a job... I think I think Man United and, and Ed Woodward especially would have eventually gotten a little bit trigger happy and, and they might have switched him out. But now I think his, his job is pretty much secure and I think that he'll be able to um, to sort of try and build upon this project that he has started, which I think is the right thing to do in the climate that they're in right now. Do you think that constant link of Pochettino sort of looming large over the job? Do you think that's something that psychologically will affect will affect Solskjaer? I think it would affect anyone. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. look look at look at Louis Van Gaal. He is he always had Mourinho sort of hovering over his job. Uh, so of course it would it would affect anyone. So I don't think that he he's thinking too much about it or would be thinking too much about it. I think that he's very determined and focused on the task at hand. But at the same time, if it's constantly there and is being undermined because there's a more um, you know finger quote competent manager uh, out there who could take his job, of course he'd be. He'd be uh, at least he'd notice that I I I would imagine uh, as is human. So um, yeah, no, I I think I think that uh, having a guy like like Pochettino available would would eventually not be very beneficial to him if the results uh, would continue to go as bad and sort of the stories about Paul Pogba would continue in the press and everything else going on, you know, with Jesse Lingard and all these other players that seemingly at times have had bad attitudes, at least according to the, to the British press. So uh, I think that he's, he's, I think the one thing that he should be, be able to look back upon now is that he's managed to put his, put the house back in order. Mm. Yeah. And one player that you've just mentioned there is Paul Pogba. I know it's sort of t- tiresome to some to constantly hear <laughs> his name mentioned, although he is extremely relevant to everything going on at Manchester United. It seems a sort of a stalwart of a player that, is it's interesting to see how Solskjaer deals with it because obviously Solskjaer has sort of put a stamp down and said that he wants certain players and he doesn't want certain players. Do you think Pogba's a, a player that Solskjaer will you know tr- try really hard to keep, or do you think you know he's going to say if he doesn't fit fit my sort of philosophy and my sort of attitude that he's just going to let him go? Uh, I think I think you should sort of uh, switch that question around, and the question should now be: Is there anywhere for Paul Pogba to go? Mm. Uh, because we live in a climate where the pandemic has, uh, you know, stopped certain teams from being able to pay large sums. I.e., Juventus, Real Madrid has also sort of had, um, I suppose, not problems, but I mean, they, they started to think otherwise. I, I, I imagine, and also at Real Madrid, you've had Sedan sort of being the one who wants him. Whereas uh, Florentino Perez and sort of the the, the uppers at uh, at uh, Santiago Bernabeu haven't been as keen on Pogba as Sedan has been. So where is there for Pogba to go? PSG is probably not going to spend that amount of money. Um, and if he would like to have a big pay rate pay rise, which I imagine he would like to, because it would at his age he's turning 27. I imagine this is perhaps his his last really 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 big contract. Um, and I'd imagine the only place he'd be able to get that is at Manchester United. So 
is it that Solskjaer would like for him to stay? I imagine so, considering how great Pogba really could be. And, and we've seen it time and time again how, how fantastic of a player he is on his day. Um, and I think Solskjaer would like to utilize that as much as possible. That's why he's sort of been also, um, I imagine, been a little bit coy on how he's talked about Pogba mm. in the press, for example, and tried not to stir up too much, even though Mina Raiola, for example, has been very much... Uh, on the battlefront uh, with mm. both Manchester United and with Solskjaer in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, look at Paul Pogba. He's, is, is there a more complete midfielder in world football than him? Uh, I, I'd be hard-pressed to name one that's that's better all around than him. Um, and I think any manager in the world would love to have a player like that. But they'd all, would only love to have a player like that who's focused and who's actually would like to... To contribute to the team and that's perhaps been the one thing that's um, been a question mark covering over Paul Pogba whether or not he's had the the, the motivation and, and the will to sort of uh, stake his claim at Manchester United mm. um, or if he's always been sort of wanting to go to Real Madrid or somewhere else to sort of I suppose create his merchant or his what is it his uh his PP Adidas yeah. uh, merchandise, whatever it is, I, I don't know. I, it just seems like at times that he's he's been a walking billboard, which is which has kind of been uh, his downfall. What do you think about you know the way Pogba sort of dealt with all this, and obviously Raiola being very vocal? Do you think Pog, that's something that Pogba should have sort of stepped in and stopped when playing for the, you know the biggest club in the world? It's difficult. It's not for me to say. I think. Um, I mean, what, what is he to do? Is he is he going to contradict the guy who's been able to get him all this money time and time again whenever he's left Man United, whenever he's left Juventus? I mean, Mina Raiola has been the guy who's sort of been the figurehead for him and sort of helped him uh, attain the sort of wealth that he's attained. So, I mean, going yeah. against that guy would, would sort of also be going against someone who's been loyal to him throughout his career. So, um, I'd imagine that a player is at times a little bit more loyal to the people that's close, closest to him more so than to the club. I mean, uh, whenever a player leaves a club, you talk about that club being a servant to the club, whereas a lot of these players are personal friends and you know have a personal relationship with both the representatives and their agents and so forth. So I think it's a, I think it's a difficult one because I think every football fan would like for the player to be more loyal to the club than to their um, to their agent or the representative, but at the same time I think that's difficult for the player because the club is not always there to deal with the day to day operations with the player uh, as opposed to the agent who whose main objective is to deal with the day to day operations of that player. Mm. Um, so I think it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult one, and I think that uh, um, that's why Pogba perhaps has remained silent because. He would like to be able to do both, but at the same time, you can't you can't please uh, please everyone. So you, instead, you decide to please no one and just be quiet. Mm. From the potential outgoing of Pogba to a potential incoming, one name that's been quite prevalent in you know recent, quite very recent transfer talk uh, around United has been Josh King. Yeah. As a Norwegian, who I'm sure you've watched his career develop, obviously from a youngster at United and then moving <laughs> moving off before he could actually develop, um, I'm sure you're sort of interested in him. Uh, do you think that would be a good move for United and, and King himself? Do you think that would be a good move for both parties? Fun, funny you should mention development because I, I actually played against Joshua King when we were kids. No uh, way. <laughs> yeah, he, he, um, I think it was my second seven-a-side game as a mm. youngster. I played against his team. My team lost 21-0 <laughs> to his team, and I think oh, he scored wow. about I think he scored about 15 of the goals. Oh, um, so I I don't have any 
<laughs> great recollection of playing <laughs> against them. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been a guy who's, who's had to mature a lot in his career and sort of been able to stay injury free and sort of put his head down and sort of decide that he would like to become a, 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 an elite player. And there's still, you know, is he an elite player now? Is he top class in the Premier League now? I think on his day he is. Uh, I think he has a, a level that's absolutely fantastic and on his day could, you know, beat any defender. But then again, is he, too, is he consistent enough? That's, that's the big question. And also, I know a lot of people are looking at his age. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm turning 28 and I think he either has turned 28 or he's turning 28. And I, I understand that he might be for many people in the twilight of his career and perhaps not the sort of player that Man United would be looking at. But then mm -hmm. again... He knows the club. He's been at the club. He knows Solskjaer better than anyone. Um, I mean, it would be a guy who would be able to sort of lead a, a, a young core of attackers, uh, the likes of Rashford, the likes of Martial. And, and the question is, would he really take? Uh, we really take their spot in the team. Like, would he? Would he be one to sort of um, challenge their their spot for the, for the long term future? I don't think he would. Um, so why not have a guy like him in the team to be able to sort of play certain games the way that Odin Igolo has done now uh, this season? Um, so I think it would be a good move for, for all parties, uh, all depending on, obviously, transfer fee and, and so forth. But, but I, think, I think a lot of people are undervaluing King, actually. Yeah, um, one thing that I had a bit of a problem with with King is that, you know, he's not a completely different profile to sort of what we've already got and Agalo can obviously mm -hmm. play as a bit of a sort of a target man and the focal point for the attack do, do you think that King would be a viable backup option or do you think United would be better off going and getting someone who can play as a sort of target man as, as a role that we haven't really fulfilled in our current squad no but he could he could, he could play that role as well if, if he's given the chance to do it I mean he's, mm. he's always sort of said that he would like to be a, a number nine a, a top striker perhaps he's not one of those strikers who, who constantly plays with his back to, to the opponent's goal. But he could play that role as well. I mean, he's he's at times had to play on the wing and had to play out of position because that's what's been nece the necessity at Bournemouth. So I think it could do that. Um, and, I, and I think that my, my big question is, why should you go out and spend a lot of money on him if you couldn't get Igalo, who's, who's obviously shown that he's able to play that role at Man United? And if they can loan him for the season or, you know, another another six months, perhaps that would be the, the, the best option to do and then look for a more of a um, world-class striker, if, if you could put it that way. Um, it all depends on what Man, United, what Man United really want. Do they want a backup striker? Then I think King is, is, is absolutely fantastic and someone who could help guide the younger players, such as Greenwood, such as Rashford, such as Martial. Mm. Or, do they, or do they want someone who is to be... Uh, the main guy, the number nine, which which I think that that they want, considering they tried to get Alain Brad Holland uh, before he went to Dortmund. So it all depends on what what they need and what they what they feel that they that they um, they have to get. And mm -hmm. I, I don't think I don't think King or Eagle, for that matter, is good enough to be the main striker at a team like Man United. But then again, they could be vital uh, options for a team like Man United, and considering that. They play long seasons and they, they have a lot of opponents throughout the course of a whole season. Mm. And Josh King has obviously just moved back to uh, working with Jim Solbakken, hasn't he? Someone that a lot of <laughs> a lot of Twitter yeah. a lot of Twitter accounts and United fans have been very vocal about. What do you think about you know Solbakken and Solskjaer's dealings over the year? Do you think is it uh, over the years? Do you think there's anything sort of 
you know, I don't want to say criminal because obviously it's, it's not in that sense of the word, but you think there's anything sort of dodgy going on going on with that? I know a lot of people have been very vocal about that. Look, um, it's really not for me to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There are several pieces and there are several stories out there that details the, the doings, especially of, of Yim Sul Bakken. Um, I, I know that there are other people that could probably respond to that much better than, than I can, but of course, when you look at the evidence out there, there's certain grimy things going on with him, and, and at times it also pertains to Sulshar. Uh, there are other things that I think is more, I suppose, critical or critically acclaimed that, than, than you know the transfer dealings that Sulbakin has been doing. I think there's other stories out there, uh, which has also been mentioned on Twitter. And I mean, if you do a, a, a quick Twitter search on his name, you'll find... A different story that's also been going in the British press about someone named Baba Kassar, yeah. Uh, yeah. which has been been going on in Norway as well. And I, I've been reporting on that story and sort of how um, he's been a, a part of that. Um, so he, he's he's a he's a controversial character, uh, yeah, yeah. and I think he knows that himself. And I think that Sulsha knows that. And and I mean, whether he's done something criminal in terms of the transfer dealings and dealing personally with Ulgina with, with, I don't think he's done anything criminal but controversial, yes and things that will make him be, be criticized, yes, but then again he's very, very successful uh, and so is Ulgina Sulcada and I don't think that you, you become successful being nicey-nice all the time mm. but, there's a, but there's a difference between being you know, uh, stepping on someone's toes and then doing something which is illegal and when it comes to Yim Sulbakin, there's um there's a fine line there, I should say. Uh, yeah. And but I, but I do think. I mean, look, if you if you look at any any player uh, around the world, I mean, it, when someone, for example, when we saw that Jesse Lingard signed with uh, with Mina Raiola, it was because everyone said, "Oh, that's because he wants to move away." And all of a sudden, you hear rumors that that Milan would like him, that Juventus would be looking at him because Mina Raiola has a great relationship with those clubs. Mm. The same way that that Jim Sulbakken has a great relationship with Ulina Sulcher, of course, if he takes one of the players. Uh, or someone, someone, some other players, then of course that player would automatically seem more available to a club like Man United. And we know that Josh King was very close to a transfer to Man United uh, before Eagle signed. And now he's switched out his former agent, which I believe was the brother of Danny Welbeck, and is now with, with Jim Solbakken again. And I would imagine that is because he believes that Jim Solbakken could get him a move to a better club, for example, Manchester United. Mm. Anyway, moving on from that, we've got a few questions now from Twitter. The first one is from United Future, who asks, thoughts on the Norwegian, Norwegian prospect Isaac Hansen that is coming to the United Academy next season? Yeah, we. <laughs> I really haven't seen him play, to be quite honest with you. And I, I don't think that there's too many in Norway that have seen him play because I don't think he has played at the top level yet. Mm. Uh, I have to think if he has been given his debut. He played for a team called Tulumse, which are way up in the north, who is quite known for... Uh, developing young talent and sort of ushering them out into Europe. Uh, mm. It's it's a team where Morten Gums Pedersen played. Okay, uh, yeah. For those who remember him, uh, sort of the streets the streets will never forget type of uh, <laughs> footballer. Um, so so but, but but I mean he he's been on on several I suppose uh, like age national teams um, or youth level national teams for for years and years. So. 
I'd imagine he's he's a big talent, and and obviously if a team like Man United go out there and sign him, then then that's because they've seen something special. And um, there was it was a huge story when when it, when he actually signed for Man United. I mean, it was rumored for a long time that also, I believe it was Liverpool was also linked with him or Everton or something like that as well. Hmm. And then he ended up choosing Man United. Um, so never seen him play, but obviously if he's at Man United, then that's because he has something special. Hmm. Another question now from Dill, who asks, who do Norway generally rate higher out of ha- Haaland and Odegaard? Who do you rate higher, your father or your mother? <laughs> sort of, it's sort of, uh, well, I suppose if you if you have a, a mother and a father, me, me myself, I only had a mother, so I'd have to pick pick one. But mm. um, I mean, it's, it's they're, they're, I can just say that they are. Um, the two players that are going to lead the next generation of Norwegian footballers on the national team for years and years to come. Um, mm. They are two of perhaps four or five absolute top-class talents that we have. I would also like to mention Sander Badege, who plays for Sheffield United, and mm. Christopher Ayer, who plays for Celtic, who might be going to a bigger team this summer as well, as premier, premier talents. Uh, obviously, You've seen the most of Erdogan and and Holland because they've been doing so well in, in La Liga and and uh, the Bundesliga and also in the Champions League uh, for Holland's case. Mm. Um, who we rate higher? I mean, it's 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 I cannot answer that one because they're they're being rated so highly both of them. And they're also great friends actually. Uh, so mm. it's kind of a, kind of a fun thing that that they are great friends as well as being perhaps the two biggest. Uh, well, they are the two biggest stars on the national team alongside Josh King at the moment. Yeah. I find Odegaard's sort of career path quite interesting. Obviously, you know, quite a few years ago when he signed for Real Madrid, it was this sort of massive, massive young prospect that could be, you know, something huge. And then we didn't hear a lot from him for a few years. And then obviously he's gone out on loan to Sociedad, hasn't he? I think, that's, I think I'm correct in saying that. And yeah. obviously sort of, you know, made a name for himself again now. Um, so, yeah, I just find, I find, find that quite interesting. Do you think this is the most exciting time for Norway in, in quite a few generations' time, this current crop that's coming through? Oh, definitely, uh, definitely, and and it's also interesting because I mean we haven't played in a in a uh, tournament since Euro two thousand. I mean you have to remember there's so many, so many fantastic Norwegian players who never played in a tournament. Mm. John Anarisa never played a tournament for Norway. Yeah, wow. So same goes for for Morten Gans Pedersen as well. I mean John Carew just made a tournament. Uh, Breda Hangelan, who played for for Fulham and, mm. and Crystal Palace, never made never made a, a single tournament. So, I mean, there's so many. We, we've had a, a great squad for many years, but we've just failed at the last hurdle all the time. Um, so, but we, we are very confident now that we're going to make it. And also we have Lars Lagerbeck, who is our manager, the former Iceland manager, who sort of took them into the Euros as well. So we have a, a great manager and someone who's, who's known for taking um, national teams into tournaments and sort of, you know... He understands the limitations he has in each in each in, in each and every squad that he's had. So we we have everything now uh, in terms of making a tournament, and that's the only thing we want. We don't really think too much about winning tournaments, but we'd like just to make one, just to play mm. one summer in a tournament, um, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting considering that everyone's talking about this great Norwegian boom and this uh, generational talents that we have and so forth. We just want to make a tournament. We just want to get there. Yeah. So. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's a great paradox that everyone keeps talking about us as perennial uh, contenders for European Championships and World Championships with the talent that we have, whereas our only target is to make the, the damn tournament. Mm. 
So, um, so yeah, no, it, it's 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 a great time for Norwegian football and for for the national team. But we also we're, we're trying to be as uh, as patient as possible because, of course, we have great talent. But these are these are so young players. I mean, mm. players who haven't had that much exposure and that much uh, experience playing at the top level. I mean, we're 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 we were supposed to face Serbia uh, in the semifinal of the Nations League qualifiers or the qualifiers that would. From the Nations League to take us into the European Championships, and mm. and everyone was like, "Oh, we, you're going to wipe the floor with Serbia." And then we're looking at the Serbian players. You look at Kostić, Milinkovic, Savic. You know uh, who else? Mitrovic. I mean, they have yeah. so many great players who have played tournaments and played in great competitions, who know and, and understand what it takes. Whereas we have never been there. So I mean, yeah. how how are we supposed to be able to to challenge something like that? Um, that's that's a that's a, the thought that we have here in Norway, uh, considering the talent that we have as well. So it's 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 a great paradox, I think, that everyone else seems to think that we're so good, whereas we are kind of we haven't had that winning mentality that we had in the '90s, for example. In the '90s, Norway was was ranked second worldwide in the mm. FIFA rankings. Wow. Uh, and you know, for this, for this, you gotta remember. For example, the guys. Um, I have to think now. Yeah, uh, the last time he played in the World Cup was in 1998. Martin Odegaard wasn't even born. Yeah, yeah, there you uh, go. And, and the same goes for Alain Bratthor. And he was born in, I believe, July of 2000. So he was born. He must have been born after Norway were eliminated from Euro 2000, meaning that he hasn't been alive uh, to see Norway in a tournament altogether. And now yeah. those two other players are supposed to take us back into a tournament. So you got to understand that this is sort of a, a rebirth more so than anything. And, and it, takes, it takes time for us to sort of grasp that we're, we're, we might be able to get back there. Mm. It's exciting times, though, I guess, for you. If, if obviously, it's been this large gap from when you last went to a tournament. It's exciting times for Norway. And I, you know, I truly hope that you, know, you, get, you get your wish in the coming years. And I'm sure you will uh, with, a, with, a, with a big competition uh, qualification. That would be great. Yeah. One last question from United Centro. Uh, it links quite in well with what you've just talked about, really. He asks, mm-hmm. do you think Ole can or will manage Norway, the national team, in the future? Yes, I think he will. Um, he was not offered a job, but he was tentatively asked if he'd be available for the job when he was uh, Molde manager. Mm. Um and he sort of rejected that at a time. And also, I believe he spoke with, I think he's also been linked with the job once before. And then he spoke with Sir Alex Ferguson and sort of told him, why should you take that job now? You can take that job when you're 50 or 60, whatever, whatever he said it was. Yeah, yeah. So we, eventually, it, it'll be him that'll be a, the national team manager. But when, we're not quite sure. And, and also, me personally, I'm not quite sure if he'd, if he'd sort of step down from the role as, as Man United manager to take the Norway job because I think he actually rates the Man United job a little bit higher than he does the yeah. Norway job, and understandably so, to be quite honest. Um, mm. I mean, he always said that that was his dream job to become the Man United manager, and he, I believe he also said once that it was 99.9% chance he'd never, ever become Man United manager, and that was when he was managing in Molde. Mm. And then seemingly there was that 0.0.1 chance that he'd get the job and that he then he actually got the job so i think i think he's he's enjoying his time so much now at man united that he's not thinking about managing norway but eventually he'll become the norway manager that's for certain but i think that it'll probably be i think he also said that he, he it probably won't be him to replace Lagbeck and I personally don't think he'd be he'll be the one to replace the replacement either because mm. I think that he's he's having such a great time 
as Man United manager. And if you think that the next guy taking over after Lagerbeck uh, would probably have four or five years, I think that Solskjaer would would want to go back to Molde perhaps once more before becoming uh, for becoming Norway manager as well. If he is not to remain Man United manager, but I think his his goal is to be Man United manager for as long as possible. Mm. And how far do you think United off? You know, you talk about time scale there. How how many years do you think it's going to take for him to sort of complete his his rebuild at United and win? You know, like a win the league really or or a major trophy. That's a it's a big question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, look look, you got to look at the teams such as Liverpool and Man City. How how well they've been able to create sort of their teams and I mean it, it took Klopp uh, a while I mean it took Man City a while as well to sort of mesh in together and now you have um, you know you have Chelsea who have a young core you have Newcastle who might be getting a new rich owner who might be able to sort of buy every single superstar in the world and create <laughs> a great side at, at St. James's Park I mean if you have all of those things as well and then you're supposed to be competing as Man United obviously it's going to take time but with developments now in terms of the pandemic, I think that it might actually it might it might happen sooner rather than later. Considering that United will have a huge advantage and that they'll have the economics to do things, I believe it was Ed Woodward who said it. But um, they'll be able to do things in a transfer market that it, that uh, other teams can't do. Um, mm. And I think that they they have to do certain things uh, and smash certain transfer records in order to to get there. But I mean, if you look at the team and the signings that they've made. All the signings that Solskjaer has made has been good signings. There hasn't really been one that hasn't been a bad signing, I think. Yeah. So it might actually prove that that sort of the analytical team that they have and the scouting team they have and kind of the eye that Solskjaer has for a player is perhaps a little bit underrated as well. So I'll be I'll be very interested to see what they do first and foremost in a transfer window that comes up, who come who comes and who goes. And um, I think I think you'll need to at least give him. A year or two more before they'll be able to challenge for for the title for example yeah. also you have to sort of base in the fact that we have no idea where um man city will be in a year or two from now is pep guardiola going to remain the same goes for liverpool with, with jürgen klopp are they going to be able to sort of uh rekindle that drive that they have for the title year in and year out considering that they will get their first one now in 30 years um there's a lot of ifs and buts, but I think I think that they're going in the right way. Jonas, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed that insight into Norwegian football as well. I've learned I've learned some things there, as I'm sure they have as well. Have you got any last words you want to say for for the listeners listening? No, not really. Uh, other than I hope that they listen to it and uh, that my drivel hasn't been too uh, <laughs> too much for them, and uh, mm-hmm. that they keep you know keep try and keep in good spirits in, in in these difficult times i mean i've seen so many people on twitter and sort of uh, in other places that that have been very depressed and sort of in need of football in need of their passion being sort of rekindled during this this difficult time so my message to everyone is just to you know keep safe and and uh support each other be there for each other it, it costs nothing to be kind to someone so mm. make sure make sure you reach out and sort of take care of one another cheers jonas thank you Thank you.